This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at the BatmanUniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host Dustin and with me as usual is Steph and Ian and we are here to discuss the last three weeks of comics and comic news. There's not a whole lot of comic news because let's be honest, we're coming off, coming back from the holidays and uh, DC themselves took a week and a half off and there's not a whole lot of stuff that's happening as we get to the new direction with some of the Bat books and we are here to wrap up kind of the old version of the Bat books in the sense of the major story that Tom King has been telling for multiple years is done and there's just new things on the horizon in general, including here at TBU. So, without a whole lot of things to talk about, I mean, unless I'm missing something, Ian, has anything come up that uh, warrants any sort of discussion? Not really. Um, mostly just wrapping things up for Tom King and setting out on James Tynan next month. Well, next week. Yeah. So, lots of, uh, not a lot going on. And uh, if you didn't figure out the reason why this episode is an additional week further, which I'm pretty sure I didn't point out the last episode, but it was mostly because I I was unaware of how exactly the comics were releasing. But over the day of Christmas, there was no comics released. And instead, the Detective Comics issue that should have released actually on Christmas Day was pushed to the following week, which is the one we'll be covering here on this episode. So there was no reason. To, there was just no reason to have an episode where we just had Batman eighty five. Although there will be plenty to talk about, I, ins- I assure you. Um, but the reality of it is that we have stuff to discuss. It gave us an extra week uh, for the holidays to enjoy, and hopefully, you guys. All of our listeners out there enjoyed your guys' holidays, no matter what you celebrate. And uh, now we're in 2020, so there's a lot of, like I said, there's changes on the horizon all over the place. So before we can get to those changes, however, we do have some big things that happened in the books. So instead of starting off with Batman, we're going to start off with Detective Comics so that we can save Batman for the main event. So first up, Detective Comics. Detective Comics by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Scott Goldwinski. In our opening scene, set in December 1639, depicts a Viking in the service of the sun splitting open the head of a monk. 
In present-day Gotham City, Batman dispatches a small gang and drops a parole office, uh, breaker onto the hood of the police car before racing off to make a 12.45 appointment at the Batcave. He arrives to find Ace and Titus waiting for him. Bruce plays catch with the dogs until his fury overruns him, and in his anger, he tosses the ball far enough that it's hopeless for the dogs to retrieve it. He allows himself a moment of grief over Alfred who has been murdered in the pages of Batman number 77, and not having the relief of the bat signal to pull him away, Bruce returns home only to suit back up and pay visit to Harvey Bullock, who is spending Christmas at his office at the, G- the GCPD. After getting updated on a few murders at the Botanical Garden, Batman heads off to investigate. At the Botanical Garden, Batman visits Gotham's largest natural Christmas tree, only to find out that it's decorated not only with lights and bulbs, but also with more victims. His analysis leads him to believe that the murders are ritualistic. He then spots a divot encompassing the area. He climbs a tree and finds that someone has carved a large complex symbol into the snow, and he shares his insights with Bullock. The murders seem to stem from an ancient Nordic sun worship ritual surrounding a piece called the Blood Eagle. Hours later, Bruce is awakened by phone, a phone call from Lucius and reluctantly makes his entrance as the host at the Wayne Foundation Christmas tree lighting celebration. He gives a charming Bruce Wayne speech, but... Towards the end, he is interrupted as a large Viking leaps down from atop the Christmas tree, acts at the ready towards Bruce Wayne. Bum, bum, bum. So my first question is, do you feel that now that 85, Batman 85 is finished, do you think that this tie-in to it, or not tie-in, but this overlapping of timelines once again, do you think it was awkward, or do you think it kind of fits or should will we not know until we see batman 86 well i think it comes down to of course batman 86 is going to lie out a lot of the formalities Titan has been saying online on twitter that the books are going to kind of merge in the sense of they're going to be happy a lot a lot of them are going to be happy at the same time and there will be things happening within the books that uh make sense to draw the books together he specifically has said online that the Alfred RIP issue that's coming out next month is going to tie a lot of things in Gotham together, and a lot of the books are going to be, you know, not necessarily, you know, specifically tied together, but happening at the same time. So this I'm okay with. Um, I'm still obviously trying to wrap my head around the fact that Alfred is actually dead, but. I think that this was just a brief moment and it was a good just clarification that, hey, by the way, even though this book has been doing its own thing and has had nothing to do with the other events that have been going on, we still are part of the same company. So we still are telling a story within the same universe. So for that, I guess I'm glad um, I didn't have a problem with the way it happened. It actually works well. Um, and when you look at the previous issue, which was that Tom Taylor one-off, that issue, uh, which dealt with that, that orphan, uh, the mm-hmm. situation at the orphanage, that also dealt with Alfred in a way that makes sense, but doesn't, doesn't like take away from the story that King was trying to finish up. So I think that the way they're doing it, it it's working and it's just showing that, that slight connective tissue that... I mean, I wish was more, but I can be content with something rather than nothing. 
I think that this is a good way to handle it. I I think that there was a lot of turmoil in the bat offices in the last two years with editors coming and going. Mm. And Tynan coming in, it sounds to me like there's still a lot of turmoil at DC overall just because of people coming and going and not really knowing how things are actually going to be published or when they're being published. But I think Tynan is the kind of writer who really wants to give readers a good experience across. And he's, he's very much a team player. Um, so I think that this going forward is probably going to feel much more connected in a way that is not awkward, but it's just sort of these kinds of references to what happened. It's, it's not going to feel like you have to ignore what's going on in the city of Bane because it's just such a different status quo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think this is good. I think this is um, a solid way to handle it, and I expect more of this coming forward. I mostly am hoping that Detective Comics going monthly, like they promised so many <laughs> months ago, will finally give us you know a single artist, because we're, we're changing artists a lot. And so I hope this gives us a single artist and also gives Tomasi the chance to sort of really plan out, you know, the stories so they don't feel quite as disconnected from each other. Because, I mean, honestly, if you think about the last year of Tomasi's storytelling, how many of them even, it doesn't really matter in what order they're told, you know? The Joker two one shot and then the Mr. Freeze thing and all this stuff. It Does it matter which one happened first? Not really. It's not a sequence. And I think Tomasi has shown with the whole Robin Rises thing that he can do a really long-term story with serious consequences. And I hope he does that again with, you know, this upcoming year. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, Yeah, I thought it was was well done. In fact, I mean, if you... I don't know who this person would be, but if you were someone reading Detective and not Batman... (laughs) um, it wasn't necessarily spelled out, but I think I'm okay with that. Like, obviously, Bruce Wayne's upset about something and has something to do with Alfred. And Alfred's not there, so I think you can probably tie it together. But, uh, yeah, I think overall it's well done. And it it was a nice, even though this is, this is again, it's one of these throwaway stories. No one's going to remember this weird Christmas-killing Norse god guy. But... But the, the, the quick glances into Bruce's life and him actually not even being in costume while talking to Bullock over the phone, I actually got a little kick out of that. And I just liked sort of seeing this little window into his grieving process, but also realizing he's still Batman. He's still going to do things. Um, I had another one. What was it? Had to do. Oh, right. So I totally gave up on the Batman who laughs. So I don't. Where's Gordon? Or did that not, is Gordon's, because something happened with the Batman Who Laughs, right? So where, where is Gordon? Yeah, so Gordon's currently possessed. Uh-oh. Or under the control of the Batman Who Laughs. And that story's currently happening in Batman Superman and a couple of additional one-shots. But that's why he's not around. But there's also, in my opinion, some disconnect of what's going on there because it's not as if we're getting a lot of mention about that situation in some of the other titles, which is frustrating because it makes it seem like that's not important. Just like City of Bane, for the longest time, wasn't of importance to the other books. So, Well, even in City of Bane, we saw last time we saw Bullock and Batman, he was had clown makeup on and was half naked in the city of Gotham, and then suddenly he's back at work. I don't know, whatever. 
as a little whatever. Anyway, um, I had not too much else to say. The art was kind of middle of the road. Guys, yeah, Godlewski <laughs> is, I mean, he's not Scott Eden, who's my least favorite Batman villain artist, but he's not Mankey or Brad Walker. So again, I really hope that we get a solid artist for the next year, or maybe even if we just get two artists for the next year, I'll be happy, which is sad. Well, the one plus is that, uh, so I, I, I brought this up on the last episode about how you know, they said that certain books were going monthly and now they're not. Well, it turns out I I have not been paying attention to solicitations, but the in January, Detective Comics is still got two issues, but then starting in February, it's only one issue. And the issue in February comes out towards the end of the month, and that starts a brand new story where Brad Walker comes back as the main artist. And then the book goes monthly from there, at least for February and March, which is all the solicitations we have up until this point. But it looks like that story is going to be a pretty Two-Face-centric story with Brad Walker attached. Let's just hope it's a better one than the last Two-Face story. Yeah. Just to wrap up, I mean, I think it was yeah. it was a good issue. It's clearly just a quick two-part story um, because we've got one issue left that, uh, you know, later in the month. But I think that the idea of like introducing new villains, obviously the idea is not something new. It's it'll be interesting to see if it just becomes something that's taken out very quickly, because that tends to be what happens in a lot of these stories, and then it doesn't really have any sort of lasting impact. It just serves its purpose for a single story. So it is very middle of the road. Um, the timing of it isn't exactly great because although it was meant to come out on christmas day because that's when the day it would have released and because it was nothing it of course is a story that's happening the week after christmas and then a couple <laughs> weeks after christmas as well so i mean it, it seems like they could have planned a little bit better where maybe this story uh didn't the tom taylor story with the orphanage which could have easily been a january storyline because mm -hmm. it happens in the cold could have been pushed and they could have rearranged this stuff to be a little bit better where the first issue came out early December and then it wraps up the week after Christmas. Right. Timing-wise, of course, that's an editorial thing. I'm guessing the Tom Taylor story was filled in because they needed to fill in the gap and that's why it happened the way it did. But if it was me, I would have just re re put renumbered those issues to, be, to make a little bit more sense as far as the uh, publication date that they were coming out. So... Very middle of the road. I'm going to give it just three out of five. Yeah, I mean, it's middle of the road, but then you do get a little bit of a peek at, at Bruce Wayne, which I always like to give a little extra credit for it because that's been lacking. So, yeah, three, three for me as well. Three out of five, yeah. Great. And over on the website, Donald gave it three out of five as well, so that's going to give... Detective Comics, a total of three out of five bad rings. Let's move, move over to the main events. Batman number 85. Batman number 85, written by Tom King. Art by Mikkel Janine, with a couple of pages by um, a different artist in the middle. The issue picks up in the study at Wayne Manor. Batman on the floor, and Thomas Wayne telling him to stay down. Batman signals Catwoman and tells her to break him. 
The issue cuts to Bruce Wayne sitting at Porky's bar next to Charles Brown, a.k.a. Kite Man, as they watch a Gotham Knights football game. Back at Wayne Manor, Catwoman's whip wraps around Thomas's neck as Catwoman drives her boot into the small of Thomas's back, sending him to the floor. It cuts to Batman and Gotham Girl climbing a cell tower. Batman talks to the recover Gotham Girl, free from psychopirate and Bane and Flashpoint Batman's influence, about her plans. Gotham Girl, meanwhile, continually brings up whether or not Bruce will marry Selina. Back at Wayne Manor, as Thomas lies on the ground, Catwoman explains they got control of Psycho Pirate by promising to give Scarface back to the ventriloquist. Thomas gets to his feet, only to have Batman's fist land on his jaw as Batman tells him to stand down. The story then cuts to Arkham, where Batman visits Thomas, who is trapped into a straitjacket and wearing a protective mask. This scene is a reference to the Killing Joke's opening, where Batman confronts the Joker. Batman speaks about how Thomas may be the only one who understands him, and wondering if his father is proud of him. At Wayne Manor, Batman stands over Thomas, who of course pulls a gun. Bruce talks to Alfred's grave as Selina walks toward him and takes his hand. The two look up to see the bat signal in the sky. Batman and Catwoman take out a bunch of villains and discuss whether they should get married. Briefly, planning to find a judge as they did in number 50, before taking a quiet moment simply to tell each other they love one another and kiss on a rooftop. Back at Wayne Manor, Thomas holds a gun to Batman's head, speaking about his sacrifices and reiterating that Bruce is not Batman. Bruce and Selina lie in bed as Bruce takes Selina's hand and puts her engagement ring back on her finger. They speak about how they exist outside the law and how they don't need a judge to know they are forever with the sequence cutting to a double splash page of Batman and Catwoman swinging through a background montage of all the various iterations of Batman and Catwoman together. Batman, with a gun to his head at Wayne Manor, speaks about being a child and the vow he made to become Batman, and how he is no longer a child, and how life is about the choices you make, and how he chooses Catwoman, he chooses to be happy, he chooses family, and he chooses to be Batman. The story then cuts to a young Thomas Wayne getting into bed with his wife and talks about worrying about Bruce after reading him the story of the beasts in the pit. Martha says, not to worry, bids him good night. The next page, Thomas, lying in his cell at Arkham, saying good night to Martha as Bane approaches and breaking his back. At Wayne Manor, Thomas takes the gun away from Bruce's head and asks if he will listen to his father, letting Batman to his feet. On top of the tower... Batman gives Gotham Girl the platinum kryptonite that you see in The Secret Files number 1 story by Tom King, which will give her powers permanently with no cost. It will not steal her life. After hesitating, Gotham Girl accepts the gift and takes to the air. Batman tells Gotham Girl not to seek a good death, but live a good life. In the study, Batman tells Thomas that he has listened to him, but there's something Thomas needs to understand and then lays him out with one punch. As he stands over Thomas, Batman tells him that he is not his father. As Bruce and Chuck Brown sit at the bar, Chuck speaks about one of the players, Chris Campbell, being a perennial loser, as Bruce speaks about the value of getting knocked down and getting back up. As the two watch the game, they are joined by Selina, and the story ends with them watching Chris Campbell possibly finally getting a play right.
there is a two page, oh, a three page epilogue by James Tynan drawn by Guillaume March, in which the Joker's phone buzzes with the revelation that Superman is Clark Kent. His henchmen gossip about the rumors, and Joker kills one of them for suggesting that he um, use his presumed knowledge of Batman's true identity. But after killing his henchmen, Joker says that might be a fun idea. So, we're finally at an end. Almost four years after Rebirth started, Tom King's Batman has wrapped up. How do you think he wrapped up all the threads he set up in the last 84 issues, plus specials and so forth? Hmm. Um, well, I would say that there are certain elements that I think he wrapped up pretty well. Um, at this point in time, I would I have no problem acknowledging that his major change to the Batman mythos is Alfred being dead. Because at this point, I just don't see it not... Uh, obviously, for this issue, it just cements it even further in the acknowledgement and other issues... It's it's happening. It's it's done. It's 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 the moment. While we a lot of us thought that the moment that he was going to change was actually having Batman and Catwoman get married, he was thinking even further because while they could have gotten married and and obviously they technically do slash don't because of the way things are structured with the explanation as to what's going to happen in the future for them. While that is, how do I put this? While that is a huge moment, they could easily undo that in the future with a simple divorce storyline or something like that. While I don't think anybody's asking for something like that, it could be easily undone. However, killing Alfred, while obviously this could be undone too, because we've had numerous characters over the years killed and brought back, there's nothing saying that that's not going to at least last for a little while. I mean, Damien died and it lasted for about two years before he actually came back. So it's not to say that Alfred couldn't come back, but this is clearly what Tom King was going for. I There was a lot of different things. The Gotham Girl thing felt very rushed in the sense of like, well, we've got to do something to tie this up because nobody was ever going to probably use this character again. And it's not a situation where we can just leave it sitting there waiting for someone else to wrap it up. I wasn't a huge fan of the last few times we've seen her pop up in the story the because a lot of the stuff that seems to be part of the story was not really explained very well. This wraps it up, which is which is nice, but it still it it frustrates me that how easily it was wrapped up by just simply giving her this, you know, specific kryptonite and she gets her powers back and everything's fine. Okay, cool, but what was the point of that other story that we had? What was the point of the other story that Joshua Williamson filled in on if she was just going to, if this was the solution to, to, to get her fixed? Why didn't Batman just do that before? So well, there's the same point as convergence to use up time while Tom King was busy. Uh, yes, doing exactly. Else. Yes. And, and that's the sad part. I mean, like, I just feel like 
this character, I'm not going to sit here and say it had a ton of promise because I really wasn't sure what the point of the character was in the first place other than it was just a pet project or a pet character for Tom King. Similar to the way Duke Thomas was for uh, for and, and Harper Rowe were for Scott Snyder, it, it felt very similar. And that's not to say that there wasn't moments that worked for the character, but it just feels like a big-time writer coming on board and writing a story and trying to do their their insert their elements into the mythos and everyone does that some of it works most of it doesn't but that you know that's that's what happens nowadays everyone who comes in tries to do something that's gonna have some sort of lasting impact on the the character's mythos i don't think gotham girl will be that um, honestly, looking back, the, the the thing that's probably going to stick around the most from Tom King's run is the fact that Thomas Wayne is in Arkham, and that's going to be something that could be brought back up in the future. Um, the City of Bane storyline, that's something that's... While it's been wrapped up, I, I, you know, that it will, I'm sure, will be part of the Bane mythos going forward as well to show, well, Bane was able to do this. You know, he is a worthy adversary type situation and that'll and city of bane will be an example that they could use for the character in the future but there's not a lot here except for the batman catwoman relationship which i think by far is the most important thing coming out of tom king's run is that they're together while they may not be legally married um because the way they phrase it well they're outside the law so why do they need a legal piece of document to say it that it's not it's not wrong for that to be the explanation but it almost feels like some sort of i don't know like um uh, uh a plot element that's waiting for someone to pick up to say well we were never legally married so and i don't want something like that to happen because i feel like the relationship between batman and catwoman has been something that has been done very well i wasn't a huge fan of her leaving after 50, still not a huge fan of everything that's been going on in her own solo book. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the solo book because she's with Batman now and we know that she's going to be playing a supporting role in the pages of Tynan's run on Batman and I don't think the character's going anywhere. We also have obviously the Batman Catwoman series coming as well. So I think overall he does a good job of wrapping up a lot of things even if some of them feel a little bit too convenient because of just time constraints and how in trying to fix it all i do like the the one thing i have to say that i really liked was the fact that like he based the the like the structure of the story around this sitting down with kite man at the bar i thought that was kind of cool just because if uh, one other thing that tom king is probably going to be best known for is bringing kite man to the forefront of people's minds so um, I had intended on reading all 85 issues before coming here today, and I was like, oh, I even have an extra week to do it. And then I didn't. But I did read the first trade. And I don't want to keep harping on it, because Dustin's done a pretty good job of beating that dead horse to death. But, yeah, Gotham Girl's always been kind of problematic. Like, she honestly just showed up, and he, he automatically takes her under her wing, his wing, even though she was 
regular human and she got superpowers somehow and he doesn't know how and it's batman doesn't just accept things he he analyzes them to death and then knows more than you do about yourself like that was always an issue and so she's always kind of almost been forced into this story and it's uh, i don't know i guess she's always just been kind of this plot device that's kind of sad that she was but anyway um i did notice that the entire bat family was on the cover of the issue and they were in the last scene of the last issue and they are nowhere to be seen so that kind of faded away really really quickly like the bat family didn't come together at the end that was a little sad they're not even in the issue I think these are all really good points. Steph, uh, we were talking online about your reread, and you mentioned that a lot of stuff is foreshadowed about Thomas Wayne in the Rebirth issue. And I went back and read that, and you're absolutely right. Lucius Fox tells um, Bruce a story when Bruce is doing one-arm push-ups off of, I mean, pull-ups off of uh, Wayne Tower about how Thomas was always, had an edge of madness, an edge of dark insanity to him and i think that's really interesting because king has been open about how thomas became kind of a a surprise to him he didn't really intend thomas to be nearly as big a part of the story as he eventually became and i think that issue um even though he didn't plan it it was always part of his conception of bruce and thomas and the way that fatherly relationship could play out. So I think that was a a kind of fun happenstance of how Tom King wrote that. Um, If you go through the whole run, which I'm planning to do in the next three months as we wait for Batman Catwoman, um, I think you're going to see that nearly every issue has some kind of connection to this this finale. And I'm torn. I think this was a very good story. It took me three tries, not tries. I read it three times before I finally really had uh, the emotional impact that I was hoping for. And it did. Um, I was, I was deeply moved after the third read at how Batman, you know, fell over and over again and then got back up. I mean, that's the, the theme of Batman begins. So it's clearly something that a lot of Batman writers are inspired by his determination to get up after devastating losses. Um, I also, I I do think that all the callbacks are sometimes a bit uh, odd. They they sometimes may take away from uh, just straightforward emotional impact. The biggest one for me is the, the killing joke reference where Batman visits Thomas in Arkham. I don't think that's necessary. I know that, Tom King really loves Alan Moore and Frank Miller, so he loves to get those references in. But speaking as someone who doesn't like The Killing Joke very much, that just was like, oh, I see what you're doing here, but I don't see how it's necessary to the story. Whereas I think almost every other scene was necessary to the story. Um, I liked the way he structured it out of order. I don't think that was necessary either, but it does allow for cool parallels like Thomas reading the story to Bruce and then waking up in Arkham. That was a cool little moment. I think it was really cool that Mikel Janine, who drew that first Rebirth issue and then he drew the second arc I Am Suicide, got to do the final arc here. That was um, I really hate it when uh, a writer 
has a big story planned and then scheduling goes off and a different artist finishes the arc and it just doesn't quite feel like the same character. So Mikel Janine doing this makes it feel like one story, even with all the different artistic talent that's gone through this book. So that was really important to me. One last thing, uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts with um, Tom King after this issue came out. And one thing he mentioned that I think makes a lot of sense going back and reading was Thomas' motivation is stated to be that he doesn't want Bruce to be Batman. But he also himself wants to be Batman. He really likes being Batman. Um, and I think that that's something that doesn't necessarily occur to us because he doesn't talk about that because that's sort of a hidden motivation. But I think that really does work, and it makes what he does to Bruce make more sense. He's not just motivated by this selfless thing. He's also kind of a villain, selfishly wanting to be Batman and deal out justice in his own way. And I think that helps flesh out why some of his motivation doesn't seem to make sense. I don't disagree. I mean, I haven't obviously listened to a lot of the interviews. I've seen some of the written things out there talking about you know him giving... Kind of his like uh, epilogue per se on his entire run or his recap of you know rundown of what 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 he, his thoughts were for certain things, and I get it. You know the thing is, as long as what's the there's a disconnect for me because obviously when a writer says this is what they intended, but what I saw is not necessarily what lines up with what they say they intended to do. That's the part that that I find confusing sometimes. Mostly because I just like some other writers out there. Tom King has this tendency to imply that certain things happened, and while I don't necessarily need every every single thing that happens explained, there are certain elements that need to be explained and need to not take an additional thirty five issues to you know to get to the explanation of. And the problem is like while. I acknowledge that the story. The, the, I, I acknowledge where what that what he was trying to do. He he achieved, and I'm not going to sit here and beat this issue to death because it actually was an enjoyable issue. I also had a problem with the the formatting, but this is just something that Tom King has been. He just does, and you just have to acknowledge that this is what he's going to do in a lot of his bigger issues. This ha- this isn't the first time. This is not going to be the last time. So this thing of like jumping around and jumping back and forth and not really understanding exactly when everything's taking place, that's just going to keep happening if you're reading Tom King's stuff because that's what he does. So I'm not, you know, like while I don't like that, I can't sit here and say that I didn't know that it was going to happen because stuff like that happens all the time on on his, uh, with his stuff. Um, So, but the thing for me that I think... I think just overall, it just comes down to, I am curious to know what would have happened if this would have stretched to 100 like he planned. Obviously, Batman Catwoman is going to be telling some of that story, but it does feel like, like, to be honest, other than it being Batman Catwoman and we knowing that Phantasm is involved, I feel like there, because this would have ended somewhere around here... And there would have only been, you know, 15 issues left or maybe 20 issues left, depending on how far after 100 he was actually going to go. What the difference would have been in the story? Like, would we have seen well, some of this actually, stuff structured? Actually, King said 
a lot of people have asked that question to King directly, and in two of the podcasts I listened to with him, he specifically said, "85 was always going to be the end of the conflict with Bane, so the overall villain plot." Okay. And then he was planning to do uh, more one to two, maybe three shots with Catwoman, showing how that status quo would be set up. And so Batman Catwoman actually represents a significant change from his original plan um, because he's mentioned that that's going to sort of go through history. So if you read the Batman Annual number 2, where it starts at the beginning of his career where Batman and Catwoman sort of first fall in love and then goes all the way to the end of their lives where Batman dies, um, he says that the Batman Catwoman series is going to flesh that out. So it's probably going to be jumping way far in the past and way far in the future. So it's not going to be just what happens next, but it's going to be the entire story of their relationship, at least in Com King's vision as set out in the annual. So this is this is actually a big change from what he originally was going to do. And another thing about Tom King is he does have plans, but he also tends to be willing to change those plans seriously um, as he writes. And that's what I mentioned about how Thomas Wayne wasn't originally going to be as big of a part as he ended up being. So, I actually think that given that knowledge... Now, I'm sure he would have tried to make it better and it would have turned into something different um, than just, you know, one-shots. I think there probably would have been something darker and deeper and more exciting than just, oh, Batman and Catwoman fight King Tut and Kite Man and the Mad Hatter or whatever. I think he would have figured out something to fill up those 15 issues, Um I think Batman Catwoman is a great choice because he's just really good at those 12-issue miniseries. He understands how to shape that story, how to pace it much better than he does. He knows how to shape, um, you know, a 100-issue run. Because very few writers can really shape uh, a 100-issue run. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if you go back and listen to us discussing a lot of his stuff over the past four-plus four years, it really just comes down to there's been stuff that we've really enjoyed and there's been stuff that we haven't enjoyed as much and yeah and you know what i'm talking about you know i'm talking about nightmares but the but the thing is it just comes down to you know he told his story that he wanted to tell if he ended it on his terms then i'm fine with it and like i said i i didn't i didn't have an issue really with this this story or this you know this final issue of his run because i think it does wrap up things and it does leave certain things a little open-ended so that somebody could pick certain things up if they wanted to in the future i did see however this was one and this is not a criticism on him this is just because of that open-endedness of leaving things open but i had seen some people online mention that bane killed thomas wayne and that Bruce was completely okay with just handing Thomas over to Bane so that Thomas could be killed. And I didn't read it like that at all. I read it exactly the way we, we, you know, we, we talk, we, you got, you meant, you read it in the synopsis, which is that he's broken, but he's not dead. And I thought it was weird that people thought that that was the, that was where Tom King would take the character and just kill him off so easily by having Bane do that I just thought that was odd and a weird interpretation of what was there but like anyway overall I think it was a good issue I, honestly like I, I 
I wish I could sit here and complain about the issue more because trust me, last episode I was I was really raring raring to go thinking I'm going to end my tenure here at the Comic Cast <laughs> on a massive rant. But honestly, the issue was good and I enjoyed what it was for what it was and overall I don't have a whole lot of complaints about this specific issue as a overall run for Tom King. I think that there was some pacing issues. I think there there was some confusions with uh, just where he was going with certain things and certain things got left behind and then too many people started asking questions and then he decided to bring them back up way past the point of needing to bring them back up. But, you know, it just shows that sometimes some of the best stories are not necessarily super long. And when we look at some of the highlights of his run, some of the best issues that he did were only two-issue story arcs and not these massive story arcs. So, I think that even one issues like Brave and the Mole, that's a like, great issue. Yeah, so I mean, like, there's there's been some really good stuff. He's really good at telling really short, contained stories, and it's just I feel like overall, this eighty-five issues arc with a few annuals interspersed and some issues that he wasn't on. I think that overall, I would give it you know a passing grade by for sure. Um, but I wouldn't give it high marks. I would just say it was it was, it was a good story, and in, there was actually certain elements of this of his run that I actually preferred over Scott Snyder's run during the New Fifty Two. But a lot of well, that, that just... actually is something I wanted to ask. Okay, go ahead. How does this compare to the last two runs? We've got Morrison and his, you know, starting with Batman R.I.P. and then uh, the Batman Incorporated. So that's a big run. Then you had Scott Snyder in the New Fifty Two, and that was. Another big run. This is the next big run. How of those three, let's let's rank them, you know, one, two, and three. And what do you think going forward will be most important? So I don't think it's gonna be a surprise I'm gonna rank Grant Morrison's as the top. But the reason for that is not necessarily the story that Grant Morrison was telling, but the interconnectivity between a lot of the titles at the time. I think the Bat books as a whole were way better interconnected. Also, there's like a nostalgic element in my mind because that's how I started off the comic cast, covering Grant Morrison's stuff and covering the interconnectedness between all of the Bat books. And I really, really enjoyed that there was a lot of connections between a lot of the books. I would rank Tom King's run second because... And it's honestly very close. But the main problem I have with Scott Snyder's run is not Scott Snyder's run, like singularly his run on Batman, but the other stuff that came out of Scott Snyder's run. The fact that there were certain characters that for some reason they needed to push so hard, but then there was nothing that ended up happening with them or what happened with them made it what was the point of the push in the first place. And yes, I'm talking about Harper Rowe or Duke Thomas. These are characters that, like, I get it. I Like I said earlier, I understand that people want to leave their lasting mark on the Batman mythos. That's fine. But if you don't fully develop a character and you just expect someone else to come along and, and finalize the development of that character, why are you even bothering? You know, Gotham Girl, I wasn't a huge fan of in Tom King's run. But I can. But at least there was. He, he, at least he fleshed the character out enough where it wasn't just 
that first story arc, leaving it wide open for someone to come in and, and do something later on. The other reason I didn't like Scott Snyder's run was because because his stuff sold so well, DC felt the necessity to shoehorn what he was doing into practically every other title out there, even though it didn't always work, and it sometimes it it harmed the the overall longevity of some of the titles. And if you go back and you look, there were certain points where uh, the one that comes to me immediately to mind is the year one, uh, zero year, the tie-ins for the, the, or whatever it was, it it was the tie-ins for zero year. And you had villains month, which took all the books and did their own villains thing, which took it out of the main story. Then you came back with a normal issue and then it immediately went into this tie-in for zero year. And there was books that they were trying to tell a story arc that was only like three issues, but it was spaced out over like six months because they had this other stuff happening and that's not on Scott Snyder that's on editorial but a lot of my complaints when it comes to or my my complaints or my likes for the various runs has to do with the stuff behind the scenes not necessarily specifically what's what's in the books well I would actually push back a little on that it's not Scott Snyder's fault I know that no no that's exactly what I'm saying I want to make that clear I'm not saying it's his fault well I am saying it's his fault oh okay I want to give a quick a quick reason why and the thing is the first couple of times it happened with death with well first it was night of the owls and then it was uh death in the family i understand he was a new writer he was just getting used to stuff but after a while he should have realized that dc was going to keep doing that and he had the power to say no i mean he clearly has the power to say no it's true because he's done it yeah and he keeps doing it you're the villain is almost entirely him and he keeps doing it and has wrecked a ton of books not wrecked, but it's disrupted them in Wales it really didn't need to disrupt. I think he knows that he does it, and I think he should stop. I think he should just tell DC no, um, unless the the writers of the book have something they can really do organically with their story. Don't push this as an event. Don't make a banner for the top. Don't do it. We'll sell our own stuff. Um... I think that I don't blame him for most of the New 52, but by Endgame, he knew what was going on. He knew what was happening, and he had the power to say no, and he didn't. So, and I agree. And I think I, he's a bad person at all. It's right. just that I think that he should protect the other writers at DC better with the power he has. I, I agree, and I think the problem is... Well, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, he does he does have that power, but he's not doing it. And the thing is... There's, I've there was interviews back during the New Fifty Two where he was asked about those other those those random tie-in months, Night of the Owls, Death of the Family, Zero Year. He was asked about those, and he had specifically said on multiple occasions that when they don't, they were never forcing anybody to do it, but when they would when DC would approach these other writers, the other writers would always say yes, I want to be involved in it, but there's a other problem with that which is if DC's a, you know if DC's coming to a writer and this is just this is just this could work in any industry if you're not the high person on the totem pole and someone says hey the high person on the totem pole is doing this what would you like to do would you like to do what they're doing or would you like to continue to do what you're doing as you are not doing anything that's high on that totem pole and of course as a new writer or a writer that's not as marquee as Scott Snyder you don't really like 
while yes, you'll you may want to be involved for you know for story purposes, but you can see just from the issues that came out at the time that the stuff that was coming out had it was it was not dis- like it was not formatted in a way that made any sense except for somebody said do this now because you're going you're going to get a sales boost. And if the writers ha- actually had the option of saying yes or no when they were saying yes just for the sales boost, then that's what they were doing. But it comes off as disingenuine when you have the main writer saying they don't need to do it. We're not telling them they have to, but they want to do it. But if they actually wanted to do it, then why were all the stories that were coming out around those times so completely broken up? That's That, that seems to be a bigger fault with the editorial team. And again, Scott Snyder, like you said, does have the power to say no to certain things. And I honestly think that like he likes the idea of interconnectivity, but the problem is that there's not the edit there's hit on hit during his tenure, the editorial team has not really gotten behind the idea of connectivity to the point where it actually works and makes sense for the story. You look at this year of the villain, which is a perfect example in the sense of there's it's so disjointed where some of these are happening and yeah, sure they're focusing on a villain, but when it's all said and done, well, how is this actually so? How are some of these stories actually connecting to the year of the villain other than just there's a villain? Which let's be honest, there's a villain all the time, so I don't know, it's frustrating, but yes, Scott Snyder, I put it at the bottom not because he's not a good writer. But, and not because he's not a nice guy, but it really just comes down to when I'm looking at the various things, Tom King had this massive story that he was telling. It was selling like hotcakes in the beginning. He could have done exactly what Scott Snyder did and had so many things tie into his series, but it just kind of stood alone by itself. And while other series referenced it here or there, most of the time it was just that was its own story that Tom King was doing and didn't feel like it was being force-fed into the other titles or into new miniseries or new ongoing series that ultimately wouldn't last. And that's the main issue I have with Scott Snyder's run is that it just seemed like he was selling well, so DC decided, hey, we're going to slap your name on everything we possibly can and we'll get boosts across the, the, the across the table for all of the books and it'll all be great and I don't think that was a good thing I don't think that's a good thing for for your line as an overall what do you think Steph do you have enough uh, experience with Snyder and Morrison to make a judgment I have zero experience with Morrison but I think it kind of goes back to what Dustin said at the very beginning is kind of your first writer is your Batman but so for me that'll probably be Tom King and I don't think I have to read Grant Morrison to put him second because I don't like Scott Snyder. I don't know if I'm not literary enough or what, but I just get so lost reading his things. Like, I did enjoy Black Mirror, and, you know, some of his early stuff was was fine. But, like, I just read some of his stuff now, and I'm like, I'm done. I can't follow this. I don't care enough. I'm not invested enough to want to follow it. I guess if I wanted to, I would probably make the effort, but I just don't get him, so... He's my three, even though I've never read anything else. Well, my ranking is going to be the same as Steph. Um, but I've been reading Batman since 2004-ish. Um, so I think my first Batman would probably be Rucka. I actually really hate Rucka's Batman. Not that he's not a good writer. Um, 
And I actually really love all his supporting characters. Sasha Bordeaux, Renee Montoya, you know, the way he does the Gotham police is great. I hate his Bruce. His Bruce is so broken and so damaged and he's constantly punching the family and not paying attention and being completely unreasonable and I don't enjoy it. I read through, uh, you know, Grant Morrison's stuff from a distance. I wasn't reading every issue, but it was the Batman when I really got into it because, you know, Stephanie Brown was Batgirl at the time. So that was Batman. Um, And I would put him second just because... um, Batman Incorporated is the best idea I think anyone has ever had for Batman since the invention of Robin. I do not think anyone has been as creative or interesting as Batman admitting he funds Batman and training heroes all around the world to meet a global threat. I think that's a really exciting idea. I didn't love the way Grant Grant Morrison executed it, and I think that the ending of Batman Corp is incredibly nihilistic and frustrating, but... I have to give him just so much credit for that idea. It's so exciting. And it and it, it invigorated the rest of the line in a way that didn't damage them. It gave new opportunities rather than closing or disrupting stories, I thought. Um, my first is Tom King, just because for the first time, I love Bruce Wayne. Um, I've always been more of a fan of the Bat Family. I liked... Um, Jim Gordon as Batman and Scott Snyder's run and Dick Grayson as Batman in Grant Morrison's run more than I liked Bruce in either of their runs. But this time I really see why people love Bruce Wayne. And some people think it's just too much focus on Catwoman and I I can understand that. Tom King chose to let other writers handle um, you know, the the Bat family. He, He chose to let Tynan handle the people in Detective and the Teen Titans people handle Damien and uh, of course Dick was off in Nightwing and he used them sometimes um, most notoriously in number 55 but he wanted to focus on something personal to him and obviously his relationship with his wife is very personal to him not that of course uh, Morrison's relationship with his wife or Snyder's relationship with his wife are not personal but they're not at the forefront of his creative energy in the way that Tom King's is. And so I really connected with just the vulnerability and yet the determination to do good that Tom King gives to Batman. Um, I, I really feel his struggle to help people and he's not quite as damaged as some of those characters. So he can move forward. He can mature somewhat and we'll see how long it sticks. Obviously Batman always goes through resets and James Tynan's Batman is going to be, kind of manic after the death of Alfred so we know that some elements of Batman are going to reset a little bit just because it's a new writer but I think that the way he handled Batman and Catwoman's relationship and Batman's understanding of his vow and his mission spoke to me in a way that none of the others have in my 15 years of reading Batman comics. Um, Snyder I dislike his Bruce. It is not a question of skill. I think Snyder is one of the most skilled talents, obviously, to hit DC in 30 years. Yeah, he's sold just like gangbusters every time he's tried. But he he chooses to write Bruce in a way that turns me off. I don't like him, similar to the way I don't like uh, Rucka's Bruce, uh, but in a unique way. It's, and as part of the problem, is Snyder has said he, he refuses to think of someone else's Batman when he's trying to write Batman because it has to be his own Batman and I think that's 
I don't like that. I think that is okay to have your own style. I mean, Tom King and Grant Morrison and Brian Bendis all have their own style that they give to Batman when they're writing him. But they also are trying to be in continuity with previous versions. Snyder has said he can't do it. He, he has to have his own version. And that frustrates me because um, it doesn't feel respectful and it doesn't connect to me as a character. So that's why Scott Snyder's Batman is my uh, third of the three major runs. Uh, I just want to talk about the teaser. You want to do that after? Um, yeah, let's just, let's just do it now. Let's do it now. Okay. So we got a three-page teaser um, about Joker and uh, sort of just uh, teasing that Batman and Joker are going to fight again. What do you guys think? I think if there was one person that I'd actually be okay with it happening, it's Tynan. Because I think Tynan, he has this tendency to like connect it and not just make it solely about one character. In the sense of, when you look at his detective run, obviously there was a lot of characters that he was focusing on. There's other members of the Bat family that were involved in his run on Detective Comics. But when you look back at like Eternal, he focuses on multiple different characters. It's not just a uh, Bruce Wayne versus Joker, and that is the extent of the story. And everything else that's happening is happening elsewhere. You know, when you look at Tom King just dealing with the Joker in general... There's not a whole lot there because there wasn't like it wasn't a huge story point. You had that moment where Joker was trying to get his invitation for the wedding, and you have the moment that's in War of Jokes and Riddles, but none of those are very Joker centric in the sense of their Joker's just kind of like he's he's there, but he's not really the main focus of the story. However, if you had Joker as, and then you look at Scott Snyder's big time on Joker and you either have Endgame and you have uh, Death of the Family and both of those are very strictly focused on um, Batman versus uh, not so much necessarily Endgame all the way through but Death of the Family is very much Bruce versus Joker and then the Bat Family is there but they're just kind of they're in in the background. They're not really super focused until you they branch don't have out individual arcs. You get the right. sense that Snyder just put them there, right? And while they expanded it a little bit in the tie-ins, in the other solo titles and team titles that the other character that the Bat Family characters appeared in, it really didn't feel like anything more than just enhancement to the story. But that should have been the story by itself because it was about the family, and that family stuff wasn't actually happening within the story that Snyder was actually telling himself. So I think when it comes to Joker, I prefer if he's not just the sole character that is focused on. Um, I, I See, I personally didn't like the execution of War Jokes and Riddles, and that's why I'm not thinking it's the best example. But the fact that the Joker is battling against Riddler and it just happens to be that Batman is in the middle of it, the premise was really great. I thought the idea of it was great. I just didn't think the execution was was there for what I was hoping it would be. And I think that based off the solicitations for the upcoming issues that Tynan is doing, I think the idea of Joker being involved in a story, he's not going to be this whole focus. He'll be part of the overall rogues gallery because that's what Tynan has said. He's saying that he, you know, the Bat family is not going to be focused on it as much within his run, but he instead the the massive supporting cast of the, of his run is going to be focusing on a lot of the villains that are part of the rogues gallery. So 
I'm okay with that. I'm, 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 I like the idea of Joker just being a member of the rogues gallery instead of just doing a Joker-centric story. And that's not to say that he won't have the spotlight here. They're obviously got the spotlight here in this epilogue, but I think that it presents some interesting possibilities because I think Tynan... I think I honestly believe that he's underrated in the sense of like he 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 tells really good stories. I enjoy what he does. I enjoyed what he did in Detective Comics, and I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened in Eternal in both Eternals that he was a big part of. I think that a lot of times I feel like he's underrated because he's because he hasn't been around as long as some of the other big time writers, or he hasn't done anything that's you know, really just jumped up to the top of the charts. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future because he, because I like what he does and I, I'm really interested. I'm really hoping it does really well. And it'd be great if Batman, you know, bounced back up and was doing better than it has been recently in sales. And Tynan was getting the, the credit that he deserves because I think that he's one of the few writers in the last decade, at least that has come along who really appreciates not just Batman, but a lot of the other characters within the Batman universe. And let's be honest, we're here as the Batman universe. That's what we focus on. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it speaks volumes to me when a writer acknowledges that it's not just Batman. Scott Snyder was very Batman centric. A lot of what he was doing was all about Bruce Wayne and he didn't really care about a lot of the other things unless they were things that he was creating for his story. And I just, that's not, that's not the version of the character. Grant Morrison did a great job of incorporating so many other elements of Gotham City and Batman and the Bat family and the and various villains, as you know, established and new. I think that was a great example, and I think Tynan could actually do what Morrison did and actually come up with some really good ideas. And if he's given the opportunity, it could be executed really well. And I'm hoping that this is like his time to shine. So. I 100% agree. I've always loved Tynan because he brought me, he literally brought me back to DC Comics after I left with Batman Eternal. And I think, you know, he's got flaws, but all the writers we're talking about have flaws. But I think he's got a lot of strengths that people don't acknowledge. He's very passionate. He's very knowledgeable. He does lots of research and he loves his characters and these worlds. And interestingly, I think Scott Snyder and Tom King are big fans of the Bat Family. They're just not good at writing them for whatever reason. I think Scott Snyder, just because he he's just such a focused writer, he focuses on just one or two characters really well and doesn't do well with bigger casts. And I think Tom King has shown in things like Detective Comics 1000 that he does do a good job writing the Bat Family, but he tends to like a smaller story. He likes, you know, really hammering in on one or two characters and their weaknesses. Similar, I guess, to Snyder. Tynan is really good at writing stories with all the Bat family or large groups of the Bat family. Because um, he just loves their voices. He loves their history. And that comes out. It's not just, they're not just there. They don't just show up. They ha You get the feeling that Tynan is thinking, where is this character in their history? What are they doing? What are their goals? How do they fit into this scene? You know, instead of just presenting the family, you get the sense that, well, here's Dick and here's Babs and here's Steph and here's Tim and here's Damien. And they all have their own little threads. It gives the sense of a, a tapestry outside of the story he's telling. And that's really exciting to me. And I think that 
even though he said that this is going to be Batman versus the villains, he's also mentioned he's writing Selina and he's writing Lucius. And I'm pretty sure we're also going to see stuff in Batman R.I.P. about where the Bat family is. So he's thought about this. It's not just a small cast of characters. He, he's got this idea of what's going on outside of just the story he's telling. And that's very exciting to me. What do you think, Steph? Um, I think that any man that can take Clayface... And not only make him a member of the Bat Family, but making him a beloved member of the Bat Family is safe with Batman. Um, I think I'm nervous about it being Joker just because Joker's not my favorite and he can get very icky very quickly. But I think he's a very safe character to start a new writer on because there's a lot of people that will buy Joker just to buy something Joker. So so I think this is a good re- renewal of, of, of the book. And I think people will buy it either for Tynion, Tynion or for Joker. And I think it'll be good for pretty much all the same reasons you guys said that he writes the family really well and he he has a good understanding of the of the characters, I think. And I really hope it's not just going to be Joker. I really hope, yeah, like, like you said, that it's going to be more of a r- rogue. Well, and something that's interesting about Tynion, he's never had a big Joker story. Um, Scott Snyder drove all the Joker stuff mm-hmm. that Tynan's touched. And this is the first mm-hmm. time that Tynan's really had a chance to say, this is what I think about the Joker. So I'm so very I, curious. I, I am wondering, because uh, two things I wanted to say was one, uh, I hope, it, I hope, but also not hope. <laughs> it's kind of a redo of, of death of the family. Not like literally, but, but sort of maybe a, a moderate retelling but not verbatim but with a different author and therefore you know giving the bat family a different voice throughout the whole thing and maybe giving them a different input um but but also i found with a lot of these solicitations sometimes you know they don't know what they're talking about (laughs) but other times it just seems like especially with king like we'd get a summary of a story and then we'd read it and be like yes that's technically what happened but the way it was told was so creative and narratively interesting that the summary almost didn't make sense anymore and that even though yes that's what happened i can't even think of a story right now that 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 reminds me of but i just remember reading some summaries i think the second annual in particular or no what was it the 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 engagement episode the engagement issue he was the the synopsis was uh Batman will make an offer to a rogue that they can't refuse or something like that. And then it's like, oh, marriage proposal. Yes, that's what that is. Yes. Okay, yes, that is an offer to a rogue. Okay, yeah. And so I'm I'm interested to see that despite what we're being told about the upcoming issues, what he's actually going to do with it. Because, again, solicitations are whatever. They're marketing. That's what they are. They're marketing. All right. All right, so I'm going to give Batman 85. I was going to give it three and a half, and the more I thought about it, I decided on four. So four out of five. I can't give it a five because I specified a five has to end in a wedding, and that's the only five I will ever give. And so it didn't end in a wedding. So I'll say four, taking into consideration that's the end of the run and not just the issue. Well, after I read it the first time, I probably would get it in a three. After I read it the second time, it would have gone up. And third time, and I've read it at least two more times since then, it's at a 4.5. This is one of the best issues 
Tom King's written, it really, I think, pays off almost everything that I needed to be paid off for me to have a satisfying run. And I I love it. All right. And over on the site, Paul gave it four out of five. So that's going to give Batman number 85 a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. To round out the episode, we do have uh, two quick listener comments. First one comes uh, via email. This one is from Freaky Frappe. Hi guys, I love your podcast a lot. You guys are always honest and have good and well thought out opinions. Dustin will miss you. Concerning the future, I think that you should cover news and other books that are essential to Batman, like Three Jokers or something. Just my suggestions. You guys are always great. So thank you, Freaky Frappe. Uh, We appreciate your comment. There's also one comment over on the website. This one comes from uh, former co-host John Roke, um, who previously was on the Normal Cast and uh, Bad Books for Beginners. And he said, It's going to be weird not hearing Dustin's voice on the podcast as he is the Batman universe. Way back when I was working on the podcast, I remember listening to Dustin putting DC to rights or complaining about a certain other Batman podcast. So I'm glad to hear that nothing has changed. I loved working on the podcast and Dustin was always welcoming, patient despite how annoyed he seemed and very friendly. It will be a shame to see him go, but I look forward to hearing more from Ian and Steph. Cannot wait to see what the future holds as it will only get better. Thank you, John, for those kind remarks. Um, and that's that's basically going to round out the episode. Uh, it's this is uh, this is in fact my last episode. I, I mentioned a couple months back that I was going to stick around until the end of Tom King's run, and now Tom King's run has ended. And while I am looking forward to seeing what Tynan does, and I will be continually reading the books, I am moving on to some other projects, uh, including some ones here at TBU that. You may be hearing about in the very near future, but um, this has been a very, very fun and sometimes very trying time. Uh, it's been I've been on over 250 episodes of the Comic Cast because there's been some episodes, obviously, that I was on vacation for or fill-in episodes or that sort, but I've been on over 250 episodes and it's been over 10 years that I've been on this show and it's, it's been a long run. Um, there definitely are moments that, uh, were highlights and I hate to say it, but there's a lot of moments that are the exact opposite of highlights, I guess, lowlights. Um, and I, and I'll say, you know, if I, there, there's, there's been some, the, the one thing I have to say about DC and I guess I'll end end my tenure on this is DC has a very curious way of roping people in to stuff. Um, you know, the what was happening when we started the comic cast with Grant Morrison's run and Batman Incorporated and Battle for the Cowl and R.I.P. All that stuff was in the very early points of the comic cast. And it was a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. And when the New 52 was announced to be happening... There was a lot of there was a lot of worry about what was happening, and I personally was frustrated in the sense of there was really good stuff happening within the Bat books, and we're deciding to go in a new direction. 
And sometimes a new direction can be a good thing. Sometimes a new direction can be something that, you know, you don't have any idea how it's going to turn out. But if you give it a try, it could turn out much better than what previously happened. I would say, unfortunately, that didn't happen with the New 52 um, because I think a lot of what happened with the New 52 was basically the opposite of everything that I would prefer to the books to be between Scott Snyder being so focused on his story and DC seeing how well this stuff sold and making everything react to it. It just, it did not, it was not a good time. There was a lot of, there was a big point in time where a lot of the books that were actually releasing, I absolutely despised. I absolutely hated talking about them. And I'm sure if you're a longtime listener, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I really, really hated. I really didn't like covering a lot of the books, and I got worn down, and it showed. I mean, there was points in time where the comic cast was me just complaining about everything, and obviously, here we are years later, and I still complain about everything, because that's just who I am as a person, and I'm not a very good person to give compliments I'd rather critique it and say this is what I would do differently or something like that, but I don't tend to, you know, pull out the positives all the time. And that's one of the things that I have always been bad about doing, but, you know, that that's me. And I know that there are some listeners out there who know that uh, that's who I am and they've stuck around because they appreciate that sometimes I'm a little bit more honest than maybe I should be. Um, but what it all comes down to is I've enjoyed talking about comics for all this time. Trust me when I say there will be still times when I talk about comics in the future. Um, but for now, it's that time that uh, you know things just have to move forward. And I have have the utmost respect for all of my previous co-hosts who have joined me. There's been a lot of co-hosts that have joined me over the years. Um, and then leading up to now with Ian and Steph, and they're going to be moving on. The they're going to be moving the comic cast forward without me. And trust me when I say there's a lot of plans that Ian and Steph are putting in place to make the comic cast completely new and better and different. And even even though you might be disappointed that I'm leaving, don't just give up on the comic cast because there's a lot of really good things in store. So. Trust me when I say you're going to enjoy what's coming. So don't let me leaving be the reason why you don't continue to listen to Comic Cast because there's going to be some really good stuff coming out of the Comic Cast in the future. And if it wasn't true, I wouldn't be leaving the Comic Cast. I am putting my trust in 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 these two people and and the people who are going to be joining them on this new journey and I greatly appreciate the fact that you all, all of you listeners have been listening to me rant about DC for 10 years and hopefully my ranting hasn't drove you completely nuts and that's that. So with all of that being said, that is the end of this episode. For the last time, I want to encourage you to, for the coming from me from the last time, I want to encourage you to head over to the site for all kinds of news related to merchandise, video games, comics, movies, television and all kinds of other stuff, including the comics. Be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer. We have lots of different podcasts that are constantly updating and constantly releasing new episodes. As you're listening to this, Robin, Everyone Loves a Drake, and Backled Oracle both released a new episode this past week, so definitely check those out. And um, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. 
you can send us an email going forward. That's how we will actually be interacting with the fans because the comment section is going to most likely be disabled very soon on the site. So if you'd like to send us an email, send it to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and we will, and uh, Ian and Steph will be taking your comments on future episodes. So with all of that being said, thank you so much for the past 10 plus years and 250 episodes. This is Dustin for Ian and Steph. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. See you later, alligator in a wild crocodile. Gotta go, buffalo. See you soon, raccoon. Be sweet, parakeet. Take care, polar bear. In a shake, garter snake. Hit the road, happy toad. Can't stay, blue jay. Give a hug, ladybug, toodaloo, kangaroo. Time to scoot, little newt. Till then, penguin. Adios, hippos. Hasta mañana, iguana. Blow a kiss, goldfish. Get in line, porcupine. Out the door, dinosaur. On the bus, octopus. To your house, quiet mouse. What I'm really trying to say is... 